It's episode 908 of the Romance Cyclone Podcast. It's Friday and Sarah's here for more newbie questions. Back next week, Nick Sarah, you're going to take next Tuesday's one because I'm away. That's right. I definitely, you just sprung that on me (laughs) on air, so. (laughs) The very best of luck with that weight loss. Okay, question You said that kind of defeat, like, (laughs) like, oh yeah, you're knackered, there's no way you're getting that weight off. It's so unbelievably hard. Within a month of his next fight, he'd have shed it. He'd be ripped again. So, so is your prediction here that Garant Thomas <laughs> is going to be as fat as Ricky Hatt when he retires? <laughs> is that what you're trying to say? Hello, Sarah. Hello, Anthony. How's things? <laughs> things are amazing, Sarah. Thank you. <laughs> things are amazing for you because you are flying your way, your little bum, off to sunny Girona again tomorrow. What about me? Me too. The stress of packing bikes is not worth the trip in a lot of cases. It's worse on me. It's worse on me. I haven't tried to pack my bike yet and I have my factor from last year and I have an old school, I call it bike box. Alan, I think it's a very old school, rigid bike box. So I'm kind of hoping that it's all going to fit in there because this was designed pre-integrated cockpits, pre-disc brakes, pre-monocot seat pokes, so... Fingers crossed. Oh my God. Do you remember? There's always some kind of drama. There's always, uh, what's the thing you always break? Um, and we were always in a panic to get down to the bike shop. Broken quite a the hanger. Bits, the, hanger. hanger the hanger. Hanger. Seat clamps. Yeah. Yeah. So it always happens. The last time trauma. we were going, Anthony had to get his bike mechanic over, who lives about. 40 kilometers away <laughs> to help with the seat post. That to get was it down. ridiculous though. Like we trying <laughs> to heat the seat post to get it out. It was ridiculous. But he was, <laughs> he would only do it if you're a bike mechanic because he literally got like a lump hammer and just like whacked it. <laughs> we were being very cautious with it. You're like tapa, tapa, tapa. Like seat post clamped into a, a vice and using the bike to turn it and it still wouldn't come out. This thing was welded in. Anyway, fair, so. play, fair play to Stephen. So there's news from My Wish, Anthony, a brilliant update. And we've been asking for this since we started the My Wish weekly ride on a Tuesday because a few people have been disappointed they couldn't join in because their devices are too old, basically. Yes, they've hopefully cracked this uh, nut once and for all. They have pushed a new update to allow it to run smoother on old 3G style devices. So... Let's see, let's see. Our weekly group ride was great fun this week and then it's again back next week. I think, Sarah, you're going to take next Tuesday's one because I'm away. That's right. I definitely, you just sprung that on me (laughs) on air. So (laughs) that's me. I can't wait to do that. I'll see you all there. Also, you should get your ass onto one of the training plans that they're doing there because they have new like gravel training plans on my whoosh, which I'm quite tempted to jump on and follow one of them when I get back from Girona in the run up to Christmas because I'm not really going to start structure training towards the Ross and my other key gravel events until the new year. So kind of just playing around, having a bit of fun on the bike and that looks like something fun extra to try. Yeah, and if you're a newbie, they have a My Wish Beginner FTP program. So that's probably a very, very good place to start getting your FTP. Who's definitely not on My Wish at the moment is Garan Thomas. <laughs> He's on the pace, I hear. He's on the rip. 
he's on the absolute lash. He said on his off season, he's he flew home and out of the last 14 days, he's been drinking for the last 12, which <laughs> is, I told you, winter training is a frame of mind and Grant is certainly maybe out of his mind. But the internet has come a light. There's some people online telling Grant that he has a problem, an alcohol problem, and he should go to AA. He, yeah, okay, look. 12, Doesn't sound great if you're on the piss for 12, 12 days. or 14 days, to be honest. <laughs> he said that when he's training, when he's, you know, committed, he wouldn't touch a drop. I mean, he doesn't drink for 10 months, 11 months out of the year, but obviously when, when he lets loose, he does. So he's that famous boxer, is it Ricky the Hitman? Ricky the Hitman Ricky Hatton. That's such a bad accent. <laughs> he, loves the, he loves Guinness. Remember in the off-season, he loved Guinness. He loved fish and chips. He used to put on about 20 kilos in the off-season. And then within like... <laughs> Within a month of his next fight, he'd have shed it. He'd be ripped again. So, so is your prediction here that Garant Thomas <laughs> is going to be as fat as Ricky Hatton when he retires? <laughs> is that what you're going to say? I mean, look at Wiggins. I think Wiggins is probably, he's put on a couple of LBSs since he finished. And rightly so. They can't maintain that that level of leanness. Wiggins is cancelled. Oh, he's cancelled? Yeah, well, he got fired from Eurosport. <laughs> so I think that's cancelled as far as cycling. Oh, wow. I'd love to have him on the podcast. Do we know why? I think he just didn't show up to work. Oh. Just consistently too cool to show up to work, from what I heard. <laughs> Could be totally wrong, though. Uh, okay, well, we jump into the questions. Yeah, before we do, I'm going to invite everyone, not invite, I'm going to tell you to go and watch the Tim Spector episode from yesterday because it's really interesting. It totally changed how I'm going to eat going forward. It's shattered my idea of our body weight is calories in versus calories out. Tim Spector says, we're kind of looking at this through the wrong lens. We need to be looking at it, not through a quality lens of how much we're eating, but how good we're eating, a quality lens. And our gut microbiome is what actually determines our body weight and not calories in and calories out. It's an unbelievable episode. One of the biggest guests I've had on the podcast in the nutrition space, one of the biggest guests in the world in the nutrition space, his podcast is always huge. He's been on Richard Roll, Diary of a CEO. So yeah, go check that one out. Microbiome is kind of the new the new talking point in health. I know when I worked in the health sales, pharmaceutical and medical devices industry, my company were trying to jump in on this micro gut microbiome thing in a big way because there is probably a lot of money to be made from it. Okay, let's jump into the questions. Anthony, I'm going to take the winter off season to lose weight. While I'm not a racer, I mostly do sportifs and I go away on cycling holidays with a group of friends. I still train about eight hours a week. The problem is that the weight has crept up over the last two years and I have about 10 kilograms to shake. So I'm taking the winter to focus on this. What ways should I mix up my training and fueling on the bike? Obviously, I know a calorie deficit is key, but do you have any tips to helping to shed this weight? Listen to yesterday's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Was this question planned? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, listen to yesterday's podcast is pretty. I think do simple things. People focus on really complicated, confusing stuff when simple stuff matters. You need to lose weight. On top of Tim Spector's conversation yesterday, you need to be moving a lot. You need to be walking 10, 15,000 steps most days. Just movement is key. You need to be well hydrated. 
you need to sleep a lot. They're the core things. And then you generally need to run some sort of calorie deficit. Even in light of Tim Spector's advice, you still need to run a calorie deficit. Now you can run a calorie deficit with bad food or good food. And I think that's where yesterday's conversation is super interesting, that you could run a calorie deficit on bad food and still not lose that much weight. Whereas you could run a calorie deficit on good foods and you would lose a lot more weight. But keep it simple and keep it consistent. For me, when I'm trying to shed weight, it works really well to spend two or three days really understanding what calories are in each of my meals, like understanding what breakfast I'm having. For me, I typically have two protein burgers, two eggs, two slices of bread. I know that's about 700 calories. And I'm trying to not hit much more than 18, 1900 calories in a day for me if I'm trying to cut weight. So I understand what each meal consists of and I eat them same meals pretty strictly. Like every dinner is almost chicken, rice, veg with some sriracha sauce. Again, another 700 calories or so. So I'd say get boring and get consistent. Yeah, I think that also a couple of things that work are tracking your calories because as Anthony kind of intimated there, you, we always underestimate how many calories are in everything, like a slice of bread, you know, one of those lattes that you love. So I would get dialed in on that and track it every day. And I think you'll surprise yourself. The other thing that really works for me is weighing, so consistently weighing myself. So you can pick whether you want to do that every day, every week, every two weeks, but I think it's important to unfortunately step on the scales and understand where your journey is going and where that number is going up or down or static. Well, I think to jump on in your first one about tracking your calories, I think it's a great idea to understand the amount of calories, but I don't think it's a good idea to do it all the time. I'm a fan of doing a two to three days to get a snapshot of what you're eating and understand that and then not to be a slave to it. Now, other people have had success tracking calories every single day, but Tim Spector had some brilliant studies which he quoted that people that long-term track their food through apps like MyFitnessPal and they put in every single meal for a long time, that they actually just rebound eventually to the same weight that they always were. So he argues there's not much benefit in tracking it over the long term. But I was trying to push back on that and say, I think there is a massive benefit in having an insight into your food because a lot of us eat meals that we haven't got a clue how many calories are in them. Like Alan Murchison was on the podcast here. I'm not sure if you remember that one. And he gave an example of a breakfast that a lot of people are having in these affluent sort of, you know, he called it woke nutrition where they're having spelt toast for breakfast with smashed avocado and halloumi cheese with a drizzle of olive oil. And it sounds amazing and it looks amazing on a menu. But the problem with that is that's a 1200 calorie breakfast. And you're not actually hitting many carbohydrates in that either. And it's very heavy on fat. But a lot of us wouldn't understand that. And we think, oh, that's a healthy breakfast. So tracking it for a few days to get that snapshot is really important to open your mind up. I think it's also really important not to overindulge. Okay, there's a fine line. You don't want to be in a calorie deficit when you're out on the bike training, but you also don't want to overfuel. So you do want to know how many calories is in that cake or the croissant. If I'm trying to watch my calories and trying to feel correctly when I'm on the bike, instead of a cake at the coffee shop where I have zero clue how much is in that, I'll just get something that I can look at the back and it's like a Mars bar or something like that so I know exactly how many calories I'm getting. Okay, let's move on to the next question. The very best look with that weight loss. Okay, question You said that kind of defeat. Like, <laughs> like oh, yeah, you're a knacker. There's no way you're getting that weight so, off. It's so unbelievably hard. Like, it is really hard. I'm, I'm sure this person can do, but it is tough. It, it really does take, like the way that you speak about and how you were so focused and committed when you were full-time 
on the bike, particularly in France, everything was binary. It's like, is eating this going to get me closer or further away from my goal? And I think that's probably a very strict way to look at the next couple of weeks for you, but maybe something that you need to adapt. And I think this like, yes, you probably need to change your long-term lifestyle, but you're going to have to have a couple of weeks or maybe a couple of months of actual discomfort and missing out on stuff if you want to hit that 10k goal before the winter is over. A few years ago, I saw a huge gap in the market for an app that was like a cycling coach, but in your pocket. I knew that AI was ultimately going to be the best coach in the world. And I spent about two years of my life trying to make this app happen. Unfortunately for me, it didn't happen. But ever since then, I've kept a really close eye on this space to see if anyone else could succeed where I failed. The Breakaway app caught my attention a couple of months ago because Christian van der Velde, yep, the Christian van der Velde who came fourth in the Tour de France, is one of the co-founders. And it seems that the Breakaway have created the ultimate cycling training companion and they're bringing low-cost coaching to the masses. You'll know from listening to the podcast that my pet peeve is when cyclists head out the door with no plan, no goal, and just roll around without an objective. Don't be that guy! The Breakaway app looks at all your historic training data and it builds a plan around your strengths and weaknesses so you're always going to have the perfect session. They also have integrations which I'm really excited about, Whoop and Aura Ring. The reason I've previously ditched my wearables is because the data just wasn't informing my training. No longer the case. Head on over to roadmantrial.com and you can download their app for free. That's roadmantrial, R-O-A-D-M-A-N-T-R-I-A-L.com and download the app for free. The link to this is in today's show notes. Question number two. Sarah, I'm going to either buy a winter bike or winterize my current bike. What should I look for in a winter bike? is a cheaper components. And if I don't buy a new winter bike, what is the best way to winterize my bike? I don't know why he asked me this question. He said, Sarah. <laughs> Over to you, Anthony. <laughs> winterize is a cool word. I like that. Yeah. yeah. wonder how many eyes in the other words. Sarah eyes. Sarah eyes. Roadman eyes? Road eyes? No, that's not working. That's a work in progress. We'll come Forget back to it. it. Yeah. Um, I would say it largely depends on what bike you have at the moment. If you're rocking a full race spec winter bike where, you know, you're your Ace or Altegra and you really like it and it's the stretch of your budget, I don't think it's a great idea to use that all winter and get it absolutely ruined. Having said that, I'm using my Factor gravel bike all winter and I'll probably change up the chain and the cassette and I'll wash it once a week and that'll keep it pretty decent for most of the winter. If you do want to winterize it, as you say, what we look for in race season typically is light components, low rolling resistance on tires, good drive train efficiency. None of that really matters in the winter because we're all looking about the effort. We're looking about the what's put through the pedals. Stuff I'd be definitely looking for on my winter bike, wider tires. I love my gravel tires. I'm running 47s on the road. You don't need to go that wide for the road, but it's nice. It's comfortable. There's good grip. I like that. I would go mud guards. I would go one by because it's less maintenance. I would also go with electric gears, which is a bit of a hot take because most people say electric gears are for racing. I actually think electric gears are more suited for the winter because our cables are getting way more crudded up over the winter. And so gear shifting is really miserable unless you're maintaining the bike really well. 
Other than that, what else could you put on it? A full-length frame pump looks kind of cool for no other reason. <laughs> frame pumps are cool. They used to be, they were rocking in the 80s and 90s. What about the, you know, the way you can get your bike wrapped now? Let's say you can get those kind of things that you stick on to protect the under part of your bike from all the crap that's on the road at the moment. You know, if he really wants to protect yeah, the current the frame. Bike. Oh, yeah, if you stay with the current frame, yeah, yeah maybe. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's going to be more of a component issue in the winter, especially depending on where you are. Most countries now salt the roads during the winter at some point, and that eats through the components. That's why it's better to have cheaper components like if you race on your ace you know have a winter bike at 105 i wouldn't drop much below 105 because the components are getting pretty unreliable after that so if there was if you were to buy a winter bike and the one thing that you would want it to have are you saying electric gearing or would you say disc brakes just for kind of safety in the winter I wouldn't be too worried about safety in the winter because you're not exactly hammering along. The one thing's for me still a parameter. I really would not like to have go without a parameter and then electric gears after that. Okay, okay. Yeah, the parameter. There's no escape in those numbers, is there? Okay, question number three. Anthony, I need some big goals for next year. Apart from the Miorca 312, which everyone and their dog is doing, what are another two or three events similar to this that you rate? I have my credit card at the ready. I'm ready to start signing up and booking things. Something similar to the 312, I guess, but I'd also be interested in multi-day events around Europe. I'm signed up for a big event. Sarah's signed up for the Marmot. Uh, that is in June 30th, or July. Yeah, 30th of June. 177 kilometers over 5,000 meters of climbing. So, so Marmot's a big day. I've big ridden day. the course before, finishes up Alpe d'Huez. Best of luck with that, Sarah. Mm-hmm. Marmot's a big day. The Etape de Tour, where they pick kind of the queen stage of the Tour de France, is a good one day event. Haute routes. Haute routes, multi day events. And you have Haute route Alps, Haute route Pyrenees. They're all brilliant you've events. You've got the Dolomites, and you've got one too. And they're all kind of starting there between July, August. Yeah, there's a couple in August, and the Ventoux is in October. So that's kind of pushing it out again. So they're a brilliant idea. Some of my clients are currently training towards the classics. So Flanders, Roubaix Sportifs, which are only out in the last four or five years, and they're brilliant, brilliant events as well. So there's absolutely loads in that sort of sportif realm. Also something, depending on how competitive you are to look at, is the sportif world championships and sportif age group events, because they're scattered around the world as well. And another opportunity to ride hard against your peers in these sort of epic events. And I will say as well that you can organise your own trip. I know a lot of people do like to do these mass participation events for kind of the buzz of people, but a bit of bike packing, throw in a certain area in the Alps, get all the kind of really big climbs, go to Mallorca for a few days, do your own climbing over there. There's so many options and you don't, you're not kind of, you know, tied into a day, even though I guess it is good to have a target event. So best of luck with that. Okay, next question. Sarah, I loved your podcast on never getting dropped last weekend. I've shared it around my cycling WhatsApp group as there were some good points about eating and digging deep. Something I think you missed though, maybe you shouldn't ride with a group that's going to drop you. It's really important to find a group that's at your level. Also, no one should ever get dropped from a group or should I say there's a responsibility on the group not to drop a rider? Groups that drop members are ego-driven, selfish, and give group riding a bad name and make it daunting and scary for people to join in. What are your thoughts? That's from Mitch Ray. 
you're always going to get dropped on a group ride. Yeah. Like it's a ridiculous concept. It's a no drop group ride. It's a no leave people behind group ride. But you don't have eyes in the back of your head. If you go over a drag, somebody's going to get dropped. Someone's going to be suffering towards the end of a ride. And the thing with a group ride is it's important to be inclusive. And this needs to be at both ends of the group ride. And this is what a lot of group rides struggle to balance. And this is why group rides are slightly dying. Because when you get riders who ascend to a level of being the better riders in a group, the faster riders, they get to a point where now they start forming sub-WhatsApp groups. And if Ray doesn't know about the sub-WhatsApp groups, he's outside the click. <laughs> because the sub-WhatsApp groups start happening where the faster riders meet up 10 minutes before or 10 minutes after the group ride to ride together in a group with their peers because the group has become non-inclusive because it's freewheeling along at 80 watts so no one gets dropped. So you're trying to find that balance on a group ride between giving the better, more experienced riders a workout so they can stay warm, especially in the cold winter months. Like we rolled out at a cafe three degrees last Saturday. For a long time, it didn't warm up. So you're trying to ride along at a pace that keeps the better riders warm and able to get a training effect so they come back week on week. This means they're also going to pass on their knowledge to the newbies, which is going to elevate them inside the group. And also at a pace that is not outside the capability of your slower riders, because you don't want your slower riders getting dropped and getting left behind. But invariably, as you try and find this yin and yang between what's the right pace to accommodate everyone, you're going to have riders at the front who are going to get slightly cold and you're going to have riders at the back who are going to get slightly dropped and you're going to have to wait up on occasion. But the idea that no one's ever going to get dropped from a group ride, that means the balance is just so far skewed towards the slower riders in the group that you're going to alienate your faster riders in the group. And the group ride, by trying to be inclusive for everyone, is now not inclusive for your faster, better riders who your group depends on because they're typically your riders who are going to show up every week no matter what the weather and they're typically your riders who have the knowledge to pass on to the people who are just starting to help them get faster. Yeah, I couldn't believe the amount of feedback I got on that podcast. There are ways as a weaker rider to stay with a faster group and riding with a faster group is only going to make you better and eventually you're going to you know enjoy that group spin more and more but yeah a lot of people were saying you shouldn't be getting dropped you shouldn't be going with that group if you're getting dropped and I completely disagree with it absolutely disagree of course if you are constantly getting dropped, if you're holding people up, have the, you know, good judgment and self-awareness to say, you know, I'm going to turn home on my own, you know, things like that. But yeah, I, I just don't like that viewpoint. And this for Mitch to say that the members are ego-driven, selfish and give group riding a bad name. I think it's really, really very, very, very unfair. Yeah, I, I can see the points that Mitch is trying to make that if you're constantly in zone four and you're constantly in zone five, that's not a suitable group for you and maybe the group are going too hard or one or the other. You're not suitable for that group or the group's not suitable for you and they're maybe ego-driven. But that's not the case for most group rides that I've, I've ever been on. People that are getting dropped, they're getting dropped on the hardest part of the group ride. They're getting dropped over the hills or they're getting dropped in the crosswinds or the draggy sections. So that's where that you're just trying to find that balance, as I said, between keeping people warm and keeping people from not getting dropped. But yeah, Mitch... It, it's a good question and I can see why you came from that viewpoint, but I've been the slowest rider in groups and I've been the fastest rider in the groups. So it's speaking from both ends of it. And I think if you chat to your group, you'll see that people are starting to spear off, they're getting faster, and then you're missing all that experience, which ultimately is going to what's elevate the whole group. Okay, Anthony, on to tech. 
So Sarah, we went over and we were invited to the launch of the Specialized SL7 in the Specialized Concept Store last weekend. You were a little starstruck by Sam Bennett and we got some free beers. But the main event for the evening was the SL8, which is the new revamped Specialized upgrade from the SL7. It's stiffer, it's faster, it's lighter, looks kind of like a Gillette razor. It's pretty cool, but it has a $14,000 price tag for the Jura Ace Di2 version. Yeah, it's very arrow, and they're kind of calling, you know, the nose cone. Now, I never knew what a nose cone was. It's uh, one of the, the front pieces that's out in the air. That's what I could kind of gather. Anyway, they call this new aero version of it, the speed sniffer. And apparently that helps this new SL8 be about 16.6 seconds faster than the SL7 over, I think it's 40 kilometers. And they say that it's more aero than the Venge. And apparently the Venge was the most aero bike they ever produced. There's a magazine, Tour magazine, you know it, Anthony, it's a German cycling magazine. They have given this bike a score of 1.3 and that's the highest ever score given to a bike. So pretty, pretty good endorsement from the Germans. 33% improvement in stiffness, they're saying, and it's the lightest ever production road bike in the world. I'm excited to try and get a shot of it at some point. Uh, looks amazing. Would I spend 14,000 euro on it? Jury's out. I don't have 14,000 euro. Ask Santi. <laughs> Folks, thanks for listening. I'm off to Girona. Sarah will be back tomorrow and I will be back again on Monday. Enjoy your weekend. Ride safe and have a great time.